Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today kicks off our series about the Oscar nominees in the technical categories. We've got nine episodes in the queue, so we'll be dropping three a week right up until the Oscars. Today, we're going to discuss this year's nominees for sound, and a warning, spoilers are possible. Two guests today. First, Steve Morrow, you're a three-time Oscar nominee for sound mixing, most recently last year for Ford v. Ferrari. Had a regular guest here on the show. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. And Don Sylvester, you're a sound editor with more than 100 credits to your name, and you actually won the sound editing Oscar last year for your work on Ford v. Ferrari. Don, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So gentlemen, two items I'd like to discuss before we turn our attention to the nominees. First, what do you think about this year's merger of the sound mixing and sound editing into a single category? On the sound, on the production mixing side of it, I think it's, I think at the end of the day, you know, to, to make sure that everybody kind of understands that the entire sound team is part of the team. And I think that, you know, to divide up the, the category in the past was smart when it was very specifically different departments, you know, doing different parts of it. But I think, um, I think probably the, the newer way of working is that everybody is more of a, a cohesive team working together for the same you know, end goal of making this, the film sound amazing. So I'm okay with the, the combination of it. Well, this is Don. Um, you know, I think what's happening here is the reason it's a, even a controversy is because you're taking away an Oscar and you're sort of dumbing down the category and you're allowing people that don't know anything to vote again. And, um, and that is rubbing some people the wrong way. I know it rubs the, the people who are losing their Oscar the wrong way. And those people are the sound editors. And that's the one I won. So I broke it. I'm the last one. <laughs> but what they're doing is they're doing what the BAFTAs do, which is combining all the, all the elements together uh, into one big sound pie. So while that makes a lot of sense for the people that don't know the difference between sound mixing and sound editing, those of us who do have to sort of work it out. Like it's something that we have to come to grips with. Personally, you know, um, the technology today has advanced since they invented Oscars. Um, we have tools at our disposal now that um, in, the, in, the, in the sound editor's bay and the mixer's bay, which are virtually identical. Um, whose responsibility is it to mix? Well, it's the mixer, clearly. And whose responsibility is it to edit? It's the editor, really. But when you get on a, a, a mixing stage and it's a final go through for the film where the film is being, you know, pristinely mixed and, you know, crafted into what you will now hear, people share the responsibilities. Some of the stuff that's going to be mixed has been pre-mixed by the editor. And some of the stuff that's going to be cut will be cut by the mixer because he's going to want to drop it or move it technically, which is called editing. Um, so nobody really knows at the end of the day, except the principals that worked on the film, who did what? Clearly the mixers mixed, but did they edit? And clearly the editors edited, but did they mix? So nobody knows. One of the things that we discussed uh, on this topic last year when they were still separate categories was that the mixing category was covering both what happens technically post after editing, but also what happens on set and that people didn't necessarily understand how the mixing was and there was an issue with editing in the middle as separate. 
I mean, I guess either merging or going into three separate categories would be the other way to sort of split those things up. But to your point, Don, if the post stuff is really a lot of people doing both, it probably makes more sense to be as a team. It looks like there are more names here than there were for each category last year. What, what I think happened is that they merged the, the amount of people. So before it was three mixers would be nominated for mixing and, you know, one or two editors would be nominated for sound editing. And now I think they've merged it so that all five people can be nominated for it's just, you know, sound, the category of sound. So I, I think, um, yeah, it, the film itself, you know, if you're a Titanic and you could win 14 awards, now you can only win 13 because there's actually one less award that you could potentially win. So, um, but I think the number of people on the sound team that could win it uh, would be, you know, the same amount of people before, it's just one less category, if that makes sense. And I did wonder last year whether it would be the producers that, might resist the merger even more than sound professionals. But it sounds like the decision was made by the sound professionals at the Academy, if not with unanimous consent, at least you know enough folks thought this was a good way to go. No, they've been working on it for a while. It's definitely a sound-driven, a, a motivated thing. Um, and I think it's because really it, people got tired of trying to explain the difference um, but unfortunately, in my opinion, you know, sometimes you have to know a little bit about something if you're going to give somebody an award for it, in my opinion. You know, I mean, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a makeup artist. So for me, I can only guess what's good makeup or, you know, so in, the, in that regard, people didn't know anything about mixing or editing. Of course, we'll recommend them to the podcast. So that's the point of us uh, getting together. Hopefully people learn a little more. There is one other um, change the Academy made this year I want to talk about before the nominees. And that is the Academy's acknowledgement of the pandemic. One of the things they did was to temporarily suspend the theatrical release requirement for this year's films. Now, there's a separate conversation about eligibility and there's some nuances there. We can set that aside. But let me ask you guys this. Would you agree or disagree that sound is one of the categories where screening it at home might significantly impact how you assess the craft. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you take something that was meant for the the theater and you put it in somebody's house, uh, you you run the risk of them, you know, having their their sound set up, you know, set up incorrectly. Their uh, the the way that they watch it, their television, you know, what if the cinematography, you know, comes across poorly because they have a bad TV, a bad signal. Um, but I think obviously in this scenario of a of global pandemic, you know, there's not much else you can do. The, the, the bonus is that the people who nominate the sound category are sound people. So generally speaking, at least for, for me, I have a decent home theater system that I can listen to it. But yeah, you'll lose, you'll lose obviously what the goal of the mix was and what the goal of the, the sound of the film was in a theater versus at home. I mean, you're always going to lose it unless you have just a, a, you know, a huge home system. But um, so, yeah, I do think that you'll lose a little bit, but the people who are nominating these films do, you know, for sound are sound people. So I would generally think that they would have the ability to listen in a, in a way that they could judge it. Well, I'm not knocked out by the notion of watching everything on my Sylvania TV you know, the TVs have come a long way to adding, you know, decent speakers, but in no way do they replicate what's being pushed through it. In no way, not even close. 
And the problem is um, there's, we make two mixes when we do a final film. We make a near field, which is designed basically for your room when you put it on a DVD, remember those? And then we make a theatrical, which is supposed to have a lot of air and, and, and spatial you know, um, qualities to it. So if you get the wrong mix for one, for example, you get the theatrical in your, in your house and you're watching it on your flat screen, I'm not sure what you're gonna hear. Things, things that are spatial are not gonna be spatial so let's say you are like Steve and, and me. I actually, you know, I, I have some money invested in the sound system because that's, you know, I can write it off. But the idea is that the, I can, even I can't emulate what is in the theater um, with my system. And that's a little upsetting, especially when you, when you put a lot of detail into it and you're competing with the dishwasher and the dog and, you know, at least, you know, in the theater, you know, the, you know, you're supposed to be quiet. In my house, I keep telling people to take it in the other room if they're gonna, <laughs> you know, if they're gonna, if they're gonna text their friends. So yeah, I'm, I'm not happy about the whole thing. I think the whole thing is, 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 a, is a, it's a necessary situation. I fear sometimes that some of the movies I see are stereo and not, not, and not surround. I can't tell. I mean, I go around my speakers like, am I really, I can't really tell if it's, if it's, surround or not and it, it may be they put up a stereo version of it and that's not representative of the film so you know not crazy about it yeah i also think uh, am i incorrect in saying that bafta decided not to include uh streaming films because i think when i went to because i'm also a voting member of of the british academy and when they had their categories out for sound there was maybe you know, 12 films versus the normal 150. So I think that, the, you know, the British Academy did not, you know, I could be totally wrong on this, but, you know, there was a, a very limited amount of films for the British Academy this year. In fact, I had three films that came out in 2020 and none of them were eligible for even a consideration of, of the British Academy. Well, um, for those of us who are in both of these groups, um, and those of you who are not, uh, there's a portal that you can watch on your TV that, that streams these films. The Academy portal is very nice. It, it, it puts out a 5.1. The BAFTA one, nobody knows what you're listening to. Hmm. As far as I know, it could be mono. I, nobody knows. And at BAFTA, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I pay my dues. <laughs> but I do not think that's a good presentation. So I, the whole thing is I've got a big asterisk by, by it, if you ask me. Steve, to your point about the eligibility of films, some of the nuance there that I alluded to earlier was that you had to have intended to have a theatrical release and then just dropped it because of the pandemic. You couldn't be strictly streaming as your release. Although again, how that all sort of fits together and ends up hopefully for all of us, this is temporary and next year we can see films in the theater again. Are you saying that the Netflix movies didn't make it? Unless the Netflix, well, it used to be the Netflix had to put it in the theater for two weeks. And so this year they didn't, no one had to put it in the theater, but if they intended to put it in the theater, how you measure that, I'm not clear exactly, but if you had intended to, you could be eligible, even if you didn't have the actual week in an LA theater, which is normally required. The movie I did the last year, which was The Prom, obviously not an Academy nominated film, but it was not eligible at all for a BAFTA 
at all. So I, you know, looking at it, I'm not sure what the eligibility is or whether they even bothered to submit it. I, you know, I don't know what that process is for them. So. Well, let's turn our attention to the films that did get nominated this year and we'll talk about them in alphabetical order. First up is Greyhound and the nominated team is Warren Shaw, Michael Minkler, Bo Borders and David Wyman. What do you guys think about the sound in this film? I mean, I, 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 when I watched the film, I really enjoyed, you know, to me that the Greyhound is a, is an amazing war scene. I don't know that it's a, you know, an incredible story from beginning to end, you know, as a traditional movie, but I thought, I thought sound wise, it was, you know, they did a fantastic job in making you feel the intensity of that battle and the, the, you know, they brought you into the, the front of it. I mean, by the end of it, I'm, I'm worn out just like, you know, obviously not like they were, but you know, I'm worn out uh, watching it as the, there was so much happening the entire, you know, from, from beginning to end in that film. You know, there's a basic question that I think I want to bring up um, in the very beginning here. And is it, what are you looking for in best sound? Okay, so what is best sound? Why is one sound better than another? I mean, why is one uh, sound performance better or best? And, you know, I've always joked with people that I would never win any awards and then I surprised even myself but because <laughs> I believe that most films that sound great don't, don't reach the threshold of award winning. And that's because, again, people want something that's, that's um, out, of, out of their scope. They don't want to have a nice film where people are sitting around talking in the kitchen um it may be the best sound it may have crafted it so well that it's just a delight to hear but you know i think everyone's going to lean toward guns and whooshes and explosions and and things like that and here's where greyhound comes in it comes it has all of those things that sound junkies you know are hooked on that's not to say it's not good it's fantastic it's great the clarity of it, even on my Sylvania TV, is great. You know, it's really, really, really hard to make ocean sounds. The density and the clarity and the and the is all kinds. The guns, the guns were fantastic, and and not only that, um, the the dialogue was clear. You got to consider the music as well when, when these things. You're not not the quality of the or the content of the music, but the mix of the music in relation to all the other sounds, and that was good. So I give this high marks. I mean, it's really a good, it's a good film and it actually ticks all the boxes for people that want uh, best sound, you know, in, in their in their voting habits. I have a, you know, a, a director that I've worked with for years and uh, we talked maybe 10 years ago and he brought up a, a point that a lot of the time best sound, you know, because if you look at a movie, you know, there's not going to be a ton of movies out there that have terrible sound, right? That, I mean, that, you know, so how do you pick between the hundred amazing sounding films down to the five. And in his opinion, you know, this is a director that I work with a lot. And he basically said, look, you know, sound has to be another character in the film. If it's just great sound, great. You know, that's a, that's a regular movie. That's what you pay for. You're going to watch it. But if it's a character that drives the story forward, you can consider that, you know, above and beyond other films that sound amazing technically, but, you know, without the, without the heart and the soul of the, the mix and the, and the edit that, you know, the sound is just there to, 
you know play for the picture but if it's if it's there as a character that can represent a better you know idea of what best sound is yes except that i draw the line when sound becomes the point and um it's never a good idea to have the sound be the star of the scene unless it's a movie about sound which mm -hmm. there are some it it has to sort of fit in to what's happening so that you don't say uh, this is an amazing sound situation that I'm, I'm hearing, but I don't actually hear the dialogue. I mean, the sound's great, but I don't hear the dialogue. And so when sound doesn't really become an integral part of the storytelling, that's what I draw. I, that's where I draw the line. Yeah, I would, I would some, agree with that. Yeah. yeah, there are some sounds that are just showboating, you know, and we all know those movies and we just, I just can't take it. Yeah. I, I just think it's bad. And those don't get a nominate, nominate, I think. On Greyhound, I found just watching the film that the story itself is a little confusing and some of the visuals are hard to follow as they're bouncing around. But I do think that the sound might actually make it a better movie than it would have been without the attention that you guys are talking to in that element where the sound really did tie things together and sort of elevate it in a way that the movie overall, I found hard to engage with. But again, that's yeah. from me from outside. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was entertained on the film. The film entertained me for the hour and a half. But at the end of the day, I thought, well, that was a really great war scene in a broader story that I didn't connect with, you know, but I, I enjoyed it as a incredible scene or, you know, what, what they were trying to show you. But I, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the day, you know, what was Tom Hanks character's name? Don't remember, you know, but I enjoyed watching Tom Hanks, you know, battle some Nazis for an hour <laughs> and a half. That was entertaining. <laughs> also, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna slightly disagree because I think I think your criticism scared of, the, of not being able to understand the sound is a theory that some filmmakers rely on because it's it can be overworked and, and, and not not well done. But in his situation, um, I forget the director's name. There's a cacophony in there that's by design. It, you don't understand what's happening and you wonder how the, how they understand what's happening and yet you do pick up what's happening so i actually enjoyed the fact that i didn't understand everything because i wasn't really going to take notes i mean i don't i wasn't really I, I knew that eventually i'd figure it out but the the point of of being in in the war was that maybe you don't actually have time to sit down and 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 speak to somebody over a cup of coffee I mean, you know maybe it, you are being shot at and maybe you can't hear the guy next to you and it didn't take away from me. In fact, it added to me. I, I actually thought that in in the in the comparison of, say, a dialogue film versus a, a gun film, the dialogue in this film was excellent because not only do they have people yelling at each other, but they also had PA announcers and they had radios and they had all kinds of different voices coming in, which I never thought of really before in being in a in a ship like that. I didn't realize how loud and and noisy it would be to, to, to and the communication was such a, an effort. So I found that that aspect of it to be almost as compelling, probably more so than the than the actual seas and the guns and the planes and things like that. No, Don, good point. Good point. I think that's uh, an interesting take on it and how that comes together. Well, let's turn our attention to the next film on our list, and that would be Mank. And the team is Ren Kleiss, Jeremy Malad, David Parker, Nathan Nance, and Drew Coonan. And apologies if I've mispronounced any of those names. Gentlemen, what did you think about Mank? I mean, I thought they, I thought they went, um, you know, there, there's always a film that will experiment every year or at least, you know, every few years on the, the type of mix. I mean, they went for, 
you know, the most authentic, you know, sound of that era, you know, the kind of the traditional sound that it used to be. So I think that, you know, they, you, you, you gamble when you do that, you know, cause audiences are used to hearing it at a certain, you know, it's just like visual effects, you know, if, if it's not a good visual effect, then it distracts you. So um, I think that they took a chance on the mix because it's, it's unique enough that, you know, it doesn't sound like your traditional, you know, contemporary movie. I would imagine that that was, you know, a long process to decide whether or not to go that direction or, uh, you know, because that was such a, you know, an interesting idea just to make the movie sound like a classic film versus, you know, a contemporary film that was about a, you know, a, a older story. Yeah, I also had, um, a li- I was surprised to see this one on the list because I, I do think that the film is visually amazing to watch. I love the fact that it it does really feel like a a movie from the 30s. Does it need to sound like a movie from the 30s? Well, apparently the filmmakers believed it would, and um, and so that itself is a real it's a real craft. And I admire these guys. They they really they really knew what they were doing when they made this soundtrack. If you if you were to study this in a film class, I think you'd come away and and you'd say this is an amazing accomplishment, and it is. It's it's amazing. Now, yeah, it's, at the it's end the of the ball, day, it's a ballsy choice, right? To, to it is, it yeah. But at yeah. the end of the day, you're sitting at home going, man, did you hear how that almost sounded like mono, honey? Um, <laughs> you know, what kind of mics are they using, dear? It, it's, it's a little academic for me. And, I, and I, it, it didn't take away, sound didn't take away from my enjoyment, nor did it add to it. It was very appropriate for the film. And I know, I know the people that worked on it worked very hard on it and they put a lot of thought into it. And so I admire that. Um, I'm just, I'm not sure about the, the, the award worthiness of it. Well, if I was to go watch the film again, coach me a little, what would I listen for that you think were anachronistic approaches to the movie? As you said, that they did it like a movie from an earlier age. What are the sort of things that I might notice if I was specifically listening for those differences i think when if you watch the film uh if you watch make any of the scenes that are kind of outdoors indoors they all sound they all have this reverb or echo that almost sounds like you're still inside and i think that that's somewhat unique to the 30s you know to the movie making in that sense but because you know traditionally when you watch a movie now if you're outside it doesn't sound like you're in an echo you know an echoey room and i think that that was done you know purposeful and also the, the, the quality of the, the recording itself is a, probably started out as a fantastic recording. And then they brought it down to sound, you know, like a real to real analog, you know, thin, thinner sound than you would get now. If you just listen to the dialogue specifically, you'll hear the echo. You hear the kind of lower, lo-fi quality of the, the recording, which I'm sure wasn't done on set. I'm sure it was handed over to post with a clean sounding track and then you know, post-production uh, chose to do, you know, the, the different uh, treatments on it. I agree with everything you said, because, you know, it's, it's almost like, I don't know if people can tell the difference between optical and magnetic and digital and all that. Um, these guys do. And um, it's almost like it's an optical, all the good, take all the good aspects of an optical track. It sounds like that. Uh, it doesn't bring all the noise with it, luckily. But it does sound a little pinched and a little AM radio-ish. Um, it does make you think that the microphones are these big diaphragms that 
you know, it's, it, there's one in the room and, and they, they have to walk near it to be heard and things like that. Um, even the loops, you know, there's loops galore in there and you don't, you don't pick them out. You don't pick out the ADR. And so even and the music itself is kind of centered on the screen as if the whole movie was, was in a mono format. It's not, it's cleverly done. It's not in a mono format, but it sort of feels like it. And, you know, it helps add to the, to the belief that you're watching a movie in the thirties. We'll move it on to our next film on the list. News of the world. The team is Oliver Tarney, Mike Prestwood Smith, William Miller, and John Pritchett. I mean, I, I would have to give this film probably the, you know, the number one slot of probably hardest film to make in the group. Um, you know, doing a Western with horses and, you know, car carriage drawn, you know, everything sound wise when you're making this film does not look easy. Open desert, dirt roads, windy locations, everything's exterior. I mean, there's, it's a, it's, that's a tough movie to make on the production side. But I, you know, I think an incredible job. And those are one of those things where I, you know, when I'm looking at a film, do I want to do it or not? Are there horses involved? Because if there are, and I have something else I could do, maybe I'll do that instead. <laughs> Just because it is incredibly difficult to, you know, I mean, even dialogue on top of a horse, you know, if the outfits are loose, you know, you get the sound of the, the clothing bouncing up and down. And, and it's just like, you know, there's very little you can do with a horse drawn wagon to make it quiet. You know, there's just so much involved. And so a movie like this, where it comes across in a, in a, you know, a, a way that sounds good and isn't distracting is a, it is an accomplishment alone. I enjoyed the, the film, but I thought, you know, um, I thought the sound, you know, they did a great job, but I, I would, if there was an award for hardest movie to record on set, that's probably the, the winner for me, but that's not what we vote on. I did a Western um, and I'd always want, you know, sound guys always have a list of movies they want to check off. Like, yeah, I want like a more war movie or a space movie or Western more. There's more on that list. Um, so I did a Western and um Man, was it satisfying. There's something about the romanticness and nostalgia of a Western movie that when you hit it, when you hit the pocket with the leather and the guns and the horses and the wind and the sand, and, and when you hear all that stuff, it's really great. And I think Americans resonate towards something like that. I mean, it's all, it's like our folklore and we want to, we want to get into the, you know, the nostalgia of the whole thing. Oh, that's when America was growing and we were young and naive and look at the skies blue and water's clean. So I think that this is one of those kind of nostalgic type movies that really resonates with people. I think, I think Oliver did a fantastic job. I do, I do know how hard it is to get the saddle out of your dialogue. Um, you know, little, little things like that, that only sound people worry about but it's it's it hits all the marks it's it's it may be slightly underwhelming for some people that want to shoot them out because there aren't too many guns you know and that's what i always thought would win you know the more guns you win but i think it's really um a thoughtful approach and um you know again if you have tom hanks you're going to be nominated for sound this year apparently I mean, he's, in, <laughs> he's in two out of five i liked it a lot and i thought they did a really good job and notwithstanding the, the static electricity of, fil of filming in the West outside, it's, it's tough. It's really hard, but they did, they did it. They did a good job. Talk to me a little bit about the relationship of 
capturing sound under those circumstances and then what the editor may or may not be able to fix when they get when they get that sound delivered from set yeah i mean i think i think anytime you have like i said you know there's a lot of dialogue on that horse-drawn carriage you know depending on how they're they're shooting it you know it's attached to a car or attached to an electric car that's pulling it down a, a dirt road but it's still it's gonna it's gonna shatter and shake and you know and creak and you know things that you that you try to fix on set you know with some lubricant or some tape or double stick you know and do the best you can but i think sometimes it's just you know the the emotion and the the acting you know from tom hanks he gets quiet sometimes on that when he's talking to the, to the little girl he gets real quiet and into his you know into his own brain and i think those are probably those moments where it's you know you do the best you can you give them a, a guide track and you just know that the, there's nothing you can do you know, because if you ask them to bring up their performance, you know, you're losing the the acting or the emotion of the scene just for the, you know, for the sake of saving something or maybe potentially saving something uh, on set where you know, you know, well, this is going to have to be re-recorded. And maybe you do it on set, you know, after the take and you record it wild and maybe they can slip it in, maybe they can't. But, um, you know, Don was saying that, the, the you know, you have a static electricity out in the desert and, and you know, that goes crazy on on microphones and and recording and things of that nature and so you know a lot of the time you don't even hear it on set you know it's on the the hard drive that you're turning in you know and so those are things that can can zap you that you don't even you can't even be aware of until you're already off that scene off that set so well, i can yeah. tell you stories about that <laughs> is that is that from 310 to yuma is that your western 310 to yuma was in new mexico which was uh a dry heat <laughs> and um this is also in, where uh the the news of the world was filmed in new mexico right well that's why that's why i can that's why i can really sympathize um it's it's there's a really okay there's a few things that you can do to clean up it depends on what you're cleaning up uh digital snaps will destroy a word so you can't clean that up you can only take it out and the next thing you know you're going to have to re-record it or, or try and combine takes and things like that so there's a lot of obvious things that explode in the microphone that you want to get out the things you can't really deal with are the natural sounds that permeate into the microphone along with the dialogue a lot of people say that's great but if you're trying to sort of focus on the dialogue and you've got a lot of cicadas you've got a lot of other things happening around you you've you've got to resort to some kind of technical wizardry which then takes away the quality of the voice and so it's a fine line you can, you can probably dance the dance and, and really wipe out all the extraneous noise. But then again, what do you, what do you do when you, then you got to put it back in with some sound effects. So it, it's a real tough one when there's real natural sounds playing throughout your film and you want them to actually, it's tough to hear the dialogue and understand the important lines that, are, that need to be focused on. So it's hard. And there's a big there's a big debate as to how clean you want it and how dirty you can allow it. Um, but there are some things you must get out, um, just because you know it sounds like your Sylvania TV is is broken. I'm going to get a Sylvania TV in the mail. I think. After yeah, you're going to get the last <laughs> one that they have in the warehouse. I'm going to hope. I hopefully hope they're Sylvania. Love you, babe. <laughs> so turning our attention to the fourth film on our list, Disney's Soul. The team is Ren Kleiss, Koya Elliott, and David Parker. 
This is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum of what we were discussing on News of the World, where in fact, you can control every aspect of your sound. You're not worried about what you have to capture on set. What, how did you guys assess this film? This one's a tough one for me, um, you know, being the production mixer and being on set recording, you know, I, I, animated films to me are always, you know, always sound amazing, you know, because you, you have so much control and you, you're very specific of what, and, and there can, you can also run the, the, you know, the danger of not having, you know, enough, but I mean, th this film to, to me was, you know, it was, it was true to the, the character of him just being, you know, jazzy you know, or, you know, the, the jazz character kind of throughout where, you know, the, the mix, you know, from, from real life to the, you know, the, I guess, before life, pre-life or afterlife, however you want to see it. But that was kind of interesting, you know, because the, the real world was noisy and messy, you know, especially when he comes out of the hospital and, you know, it's just pure chaos in New York street. It, it's an interesting mix because they got to, they, they literally chose everything based on, you know, what the animation showed. So I think, I think it was interesting enough. I also love a lot of the comedy bits, you know, where the, the souls are going off into the light and it sounds like a bug zapper, you know, it's like, you know, you listen to these things and you just think, Oh, that, that's pretty smart. And it could have been anything, you know? And so I think that there's a lot of creativity, you know, when, especially when you get into animation, uh, but you know, on the production side of it, it's, it's difficult, you know, because I, I, you know, I think, like I said, all movies really sound amazing once they get to you but is the point you know what is the point of the the mix to, to to you know to show the the film off to the to the audience all right this is like 180 degrees apart from news of the world i don't know how you can compare soul to news of the world i mean if they did the animation out in the desert <laughs> maybe we could figure it out but they didn't they did it over a couple years maybe five years in and they have a really, un all animation, not just soul, all animation has an unfair advantage to making great sound because they invent it from the bottom up. There's nothing left to chance. It's completely constructed and therefore it should sound good. And it does, it sounds amazing. It's great. The music's great, the, everything is beautiful. But um, I'm, I'm having a hard time comparing it to, to, to Mank, for example, or even, even News of the World. I mean, it's, it's completely constructed in a studio. There is no pr production mixer. There's a discussion with, amongst people saying like, well, should the, should the guy that records the dialogue in the ADR studio, could, he's the production mixer, right? Because that's the production. And that is not the production. That is, that is a, a post-production approach. So um, yes, it does sound fantastic, but I don't know, I don't know how to compare it with other movies that have to go out into the world. And uh, well, okay, maybe Greyhound, because Greyhound was not shot in the, in the Atlantic Ocean. Maybe Greyhound would compare, except that Greyhound did have people performing on the set um, and Seoul doesn't. It has people performing on an ADR stage and they can stop and start and they can cut out letters and words and things like that. And, and, you know, they have complete control. So I don't know. Does it sound great? You betcha. Does it sound better than News of the World? I don't know how to compare it. I just don't know how. All the animated movies I've seen this year, and usually in general, sound 
excellent. I mean, they're all fantastic. The Croods is great. Um, the Willoughby's is great. I mean, they're all really, really strong. And they should be because they've invented their own environment. They haven't had to work with what's on, on somebody's screen. They, they, they've made it up. So I, again, I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, I think that that's why there's separate categories for, you know, best picture and a best animated picture. I think it's, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you, uh, you know, connect these, you know, it, you almost want to have it a, you know, best animated sound movie and best, you know, sound movie. Yeah, well, that would be interesting. Over. They could yeah. cross over, but at the same time, if you're, if you're apples to apples, you know, here's, here's your five animated films, how they sound compared to each other. Here's your other five films, you know, how they sound. And, and every once in a while, you know, like a, you know, just like an international best, you know, best picture crosses over to best picture. Um, there could be crossover, but uh, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough, like, you know, apples to apples uh, comparison, just because it's so, you know, the, the, the way you approach each one is so different. I would love to see an animated sound category. I mean, cause that's a real bake-off. I mean, you talk about people that have this comparing apples to apples, that would be fantastic because they're so, they're so good it would be a real challenge to see who's the best animated sound. And I don't think the Academy is going to go for it because they just took away the sound editing. So why are they going to add another one? Yeah, well, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, it, all animated films, you just look at it and you're just amazed because you know, they started yeah. with zero, you know? So everything is a choice where sometimes, you know, you know, like a production mixed movie. Okay. Here's the, you know, here's the canvas. It's already has a bunch of splatter on it. Now make a, make a painting out of it, you know, but you got to keep some of that splatter in there. Yeah. Well, this is only the second year that I've done a deep dive of the categories here on the podcast, but I don't recall a time before this that an animated film was nominated in Best Sound. Does anything, do you guys recollect anything of where this would have come up? And if not, and you guys are, are, are shaking your head no, do you think this is a case where the theme of the film with the jazz elements sort of garnered it extra attention in this category than otherwise it would have had? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a tough one to 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 realize why you know to to judge it why you know the sound community decided to to to, to pick it like we said it's you know it's a hard film to uh, to judge in that sense um, but I think I mean it's a it's a it's a great story it's a great lesson you know to live your life and and you know the life your your purpose is in all the small moments not not the end goal it's it's all about the journey not the the destination so I think you know, maybe that resonated with a bunch of people stuck at home for a year, you know, just wanting to live life again. I don't know. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to suggest that maybe this is a COVID consequence. If you're watching hundred percent of your, your nominated or your potential award-winning films at home and this one comes along and, and it just strikes you as a really important commentary on what's going on in your life. Um, you could be emotionally you know, persuaded to vote for best costumes. I mean, um, even though it's animated, <laughs> the whole thing, yeah. you know, just, just, it sort of smacks of people looking for meaning. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a highly anticipated film and people have been talking about it for years and they do a really great job. So why, why wouldn't it be recognized? But I, I, I find it sort of like a little surprising that sound um, now is one of its accolades, even though it's great. I don't know. I'm, again, I don't know how to handle it. We'll turn our attention to the last film on our list, Sound of Metal. The team is Nicholas Becker, Jamie Bakst, Michelle Coutelanc, 
Carlos Cortez and Philip Blood. And again, with a caveat, apologies for any names mispronounced. Sound of Metal. This gave me anxiety. <laughs> As a sound guy, I'm like, oh my God, what if one day I wake up and I'm just, it's just silent? <laughs> what would I do? <laughs> what? So watching it, my heart rate is elevated. I'm like, oh, the pandemic, and now I can't hear. Oh my what? God. I can't, what did you say? <laughs> we, we've lost Don. Oh, no, we've lost the Don. <laughs> what? Don! Don! Don of Metal! Uh, I mean, this movie is, you know, you know, it's one of those. I think I, you know, early on I said, you know, sound is like a character in the movie. Uh, you know, this is his sidekick through the movie, you know, is, is the audience hearing the way he hears. Is it distracting at times? Yeah. But is that the purpose of it? I, th I think obviously the French backyard, you know, party is chaos, you know, in the city streets with he, when he has a cochlear ear and is chaos and it's, it is overwhelming. And I think that's the point. So I think they did a really great job in, you know, showing you the struggles that would be that situation. But, you know, there are times where definitely, you know, the mix was bigger than the movie, right? But I, but I enjoyed the mix. I mean, I enjoyed it because it got me to, you know, my heart rate was up, you know, <laughs> I was nervous the entire film uh, for this character and uh, didn't really know where it might or might not go. You know, I mean, the, the actor did an incredible job playing this character. Yeah, when I when I saw um, the title, the sound of metal, um, I I had a very high expectation that this was going to be about sound, and I you know of course it is about sound, and is the sound uh, a dominant character, as Steve likes to call it? Yeah, it really is a dominant character. Is the mix sometimes overwhelming? Yeah, it is but by design it's not like they went crazy but you know forgot to, to lower the sound they raised it on purpose and they brought us into his head now that is hard to do and but that's what sound does when it's used properly when it's actually effective sound you can go into a guy's head and you know and i think they they actually took us on a journey uh, his deafening deafness and I, I was impressed. I was very impressed. Now, is this a great movie? Um, we don't have to judge it on that. We don't have to judge it if we liked it or not, or if it was like, you know, the best performance of the year. None of that should really matter if it's a good sound job. It could be a good sound job in a bad movie, and it, it will still be a good sound job. Well, unfortunately, they don't do that anymore. They do. They say, I like the movie, and boy, was that sound good. I'm just saying that because... I'm not, it's not, it's not an expensive movie. They made. they, they kind of did it in post with a lot of effort and, and, and craft, you know, so on the surface, it may, it may be a, like an indie movie, but it doesn't sound like one. And so that it should get high marks for that too. I also noticed that, you know, and a lot of times people don't know what they're doing um, in, and they want to make sure somebody's once they want to make sure he's, he's hearing impaired or damaged like a, so they put in this tinnitus kind of tone and you hear that a lot in movies, you know, and it's used a whole lot. It's one of my pet peeves, people who know me know I hate it, but here's the movie where it actually is appropriate because this is actually what's happening to the guy. So here's a sound that actually is where it belongs in the film. And so high marks for, for, for doing that. So I, I think Sound of Meadow is a very effective soundscape. 
And when we're talking about how the team comes together, is this a movie where a lot of the weight is carried by the editor? In other words, a lot of the effects and things you're talking about are clearly post that therefore, obviously on set, he's capturing what he needs, but a lot of these creative decisions, which they probably know they're gonna do in advance, require expertise in post. And so the balance is not maybe as equal on say some of these other films. Well, I think it's, I think it's hard. I think you go into any movie, you know, I think any production mixer is gonna record on set the best they can you know, and give post-production as much material as possible. And then what post-production does with it is what they do with it. So like in the, the case of Mank, you know, that wasn't recorded with, you know, a reel-to-reel and an old microphone to make it sound like that. It was recorded with the best <laughs> technology and then handed off and said, okay, do what you want to do with this. Uh, there are obviously movies that, you know, the production mixer is very much involved in getting th- things on set you know that are going to be specifically hard to get later on but i think in general it's you know the the production side of it you're always trying to record you know the best you can and obviously on a film like this where they know in advance that they're going to have you know the these issues and the actors are obviously acting this way you know i think this film they did a few things you know they attempted on set to to you know use a a a barrier mic or you know different type of miking different surfaces whether that ended up playing in the film is is you know anybody's guess you know except for the team who who did it they're they're the ones that know what they use what they didn't use but i'm sure there was an attempt on set to record you know a deafness sounding thing from what i understand they they had the actor put a you know a lav in his in his mouth you know uh, you know after the take you know keep his mouth closed and then scratch his head and you know hear his heartbeat and things of like that does that make it in the final mix maybe maybe it does maybe it does maybe it's just a good guide to show what it might sound like and then post-production takes it over and but you know as, a, as an effort as a full sound team i think that yeah i think it's it's a heavy post-production film because none of that you're not going to record you know a cochlear implant on the streets you know for days and say this is what this is yeah it, it's um part of the the effectiveness of this film is the mixer these sounds that are employed are ostensibly they're normal sounds, except they're treated in such a way as to be really, really hard to handle. I mean, the party itself, the the voices were were almost like daggers. Um, And that's a mix, you know, that's that's a craft of mixing. People wanna know what mixing is, that's what mixing is. It takes a normal sound and skews it into something that is a, a version of itself. And in this case, it was really painful. So, you know, the mixers get, get, you know, high marks for that too. I mean, that's where most of this sound uh, effectiveness was created, in, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the editors did it too. But it just seems like the mix itself was really strong and effective. I would also say, you know, there, there's a lot of effects in there. I mean, that, that are probably pretty subtle, you know, clothing noises, uh, you know, sign language, fingertips, things of that nature that are amplified you know, in the movie to really demonstrate how quiet the room is, you know, when a bunch of people are in it that don't speak, you know, and are signing. And so I think that, yeah, obviously there's a big component in sound editing, but in Foley and things of that nature to really come across, you know, cause I know what you can record on set, you know, when it comes to fingertips, you're not recording that on set 99% of the time, <laughs> um, you know, anything, even clothing rustle and things of that of, of an entire group, you're not going to record on, you know, 
get some creaking chairs and some some silverware but that's going to be a, a post situation there and so there's probably a lot more to this the sound edit than it than it comes across when you're watching it because it, it just feels like real life but i'm sure that there's a just a ton of you know interesting things that they did for that um, but to make it as subtle as it was and do you think a film like this would require the collaboration between the various elements in other words you're your, your post-production editor and mixer might be involved in discussions even earlier in the production process than under a normal film, given the intention here? Or do you don't think that's actually stand out on this film or would have required it? Curious. My, my gut is that a film like this, as kind of Indian and, and you know, seemingly lower budget than than a normal film wouldn't have the the financial opportunity to you know pick an entire crew in advance but i do think that the director probably knew the direction he wanted to go and probably communicated that well with the production side of it and so you know that guy probably did the best he could and passed it off and then the director got in the post and communicated it well with them and they they ran with it uh, there are there are a few films I, i've done a couple where i really get involved early on with the the you know the sound editor and he him and i collaborate on what we want to record we did a basketball movie that came out last year that we put a dolby atmos mic in the crowds and had the crowds just do it for real and mic all the players and you know things that we weren't that you typically wouldn't do on a film but you know with a little bit of of communication up front and then you know double checking with each other to make sure that what we're doing on set isn't just blowing the the, the mix out or isn't just ruining the film and they have to re-record it. There is that communication sometimes, but that's pretty specific in the situations. You know, if that was more of an experimental, hey, do you want to try Dolby Atmos with crowds on set, you know, and then get the actors and the, the radio mics for the center channel and then let's see how that all unfolds. And in that film, it worked out great, but we also recorded Dolby Atmos out on the side of the street, you know, outside the apartment. And then, you know, later on checked in, hey, did you use any of that ambient recording outside? Nah, that was just, we just wiped that out. We didn't need any of that. We have files for that. And it went, oh, okay, great. You know, so, so it's a, it is a back and forth education as to what you can offer post-production that's not a waste of their time, uh, but also not a waste of your time. So you wanna, you wanna give them as much as you can. Like, like Don and I did Ford versus Ferrari in that movie on set, those engines were not the right engines. So there was no reason for us to spend the energy or the time to try to record the engines of the cars on set because we knew, well, this is a you know Volkswagen engine in a Ferrari that's not going to sound right. You know, and the, the movie would not do well if we put in all this effort to just be deleted and re-recorded later and we knew that. So, um, so there wasn't much care on the production side to try to get those engines, the, the the goal was let's get the dialogue as clean as we can, given that we have Volkswagen engines next to the actors when they're talking, let's try to get that engine off or this or that, you know, so there is a, there is a trade-off to knowing what is going to make the mix and what's not. And so I think that, you know, there's probably some collaboration on some films and, and a lot less on others. It just depends on, on the scenario. Even my director said to me, you better come up with some engines. Cause we, you know, we've got a, a Mazda engine in this Ford. <laughs> And I, and I like, I said, thanks, no kidding. Yeah, good idea. I mean, we all, we all knew just by hearing the tracks that that, were, that was bleeding over into the dialogue and the crowds and things like that, that uh, we need to get the, the real engines and things like that. But you never know, you never know what you're gonna hear 
even though you hear it on the set or you hear it in your headphones, or you hear it, you're never going to know what it sounds like until you get it in the theater. And there's something about the air in the theater that makes things that are unlistenable sound great in the theater. You don't know. And that's why sometimes watching films strictly at home, I don't know if you're going to ever get that sensation of, of space and, and, and what really sounds good in an open room. It's just the way we are at the moment, but I really can't wait till we get back into theaters. Uh, I hope we haven't broken that one, but I, I think that people really enjoy the theatrical experience. And even though it may come sounding great from an editor or from a mixer or from a production, you, once you put it all together, it may clash with something else and, and you just juggle it until, it until you take out and put in what, what, what ultimately works. Well, I'm with you, Don. Fingers crossed we're, we're back in the theaters sooner rather than later. I do have a final question for both of you. What films do you think may have been overlooked in this category this year? Things you might have heard that you were struck by their sound, yet for whatever reason, they didn't make the nominee list. That's hard. Um, and, you know, the kind of films that I think are really sounding good are, don't always make it into the sound winning category because I don't always gravitate toward guns and things. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a couple of war movies in, in, in this year's batch that sound great. They would normally be selected, I think, for inclusion. But, but what I think were two great sounding films were, I think Promising Woman sounded really good. And I think The Dig sounded really good. And both for reasons that don't probably make everybody else excited. I mean, they both were well recorded in production. They both, the atmospheres and the locations sounded fantastic. Um, there was a little bit of razzle dazzle here and there in The Promising Woman. There wasn't, there wasn't any razzle dazzle in The Dig, but the whole thing captured the mood very well. And I, and I, that's what I look for. Does the sound tell the story? Does it promote the story? And is it emotional in this connotation? Does it have, you know, does it support everything? And when I get sort of a, what I feel like I've been transported to a place and I know the sound has been partly responsible for that. So those, those are two that I liked a whole lot, but they're not going to win any awards. They should, but they're not. Yeah. I liked the promising young woman as well. I thought that, you know, I mean, it's one of those movies that even the, um, I guess the, the music, you know, helped with some of those scenes as well to really pull them off. But the, the mix was nice. It was a great sounding film. I think, I think you also have, you know, a, a movie like Ma Rain, you know, um, that also sounded great and it was interesting mix wise, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a funky, it's a funky year for sure. I mean, you know, we one at least in my memory is one of our first animated best sounding animated films, you know, so it's, it's a strange year to, to judge what did or didn't make it. But, you know, overall, I think the five nominees, you know, are there for a reason this year and, you know, I wish them all the the best. Uh, it'll be it's a strange year to be nominated, probably to to go to the the Oscars or not go to the Oscars or stream it or not stream it. I mean, there's a lot of things that you, you know, when you're nominated, you get to participate in that may or may not happen this year. You know, there's a nice dinner, there's uh, you know different events that you do in person that I don't know if they'll happen for the nominees this year, which is kind of a sad for them but uh, the same token hey you're nominated for an oscar you know that's not a bad that's not a bad uh, place to be in that you can't participate in, maybe in person this year 
I want to thank you guys both for coming on today and, and going over these films with us. I really want to talk about them. Thanks for bringing your expertise and sharing it with our audience. Thanks, Thanks. for having fun. As I mentioned at the start of the show, our coverage of the Oscar nominees is going to run nine episodes over three weeks. So we'll be dropping new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday between now and the Oscars. I really appreciate your feedback. You can send email comments to skid, S-K-I-D, at blowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. If you're enjoying the series, I hope you'll rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners. And new listeners, please check out our catalog of previous episodes at the website, blowthelineoneword.biz. If you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Once again, thanks for listening. Be safe out there. Can you hear my lawnmower? Very slightly. Who who mows their yard on a Saturday? (laughs) The guy trying to get 50 bucks from you because he knows you're doing a podcast.